0: It seems like it's cooling down a little bit. I think it's been a few weeks now that we've had high temperatures, but praise God that you are here, Amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Philippians. Remember, it's Philippians, Philippians chapter three. Last week I kept saying Ephesians, and thanks for my faithful sidekick. There, he set me on track. Get back to Philippians. You got to finish that one first. If you want to do Ephesians, you can do it later, right? So, Philippians chapter 3. One of the things that we'll find out in the next book, which is Colossians, that the, the letter to the people in Coloss is almost identical to the people in Ephesians. So, it's kind of good that Philippians is kind of in the middle, because if you've been through with us through Ephesians, you'll see that, uh, that uh, Colossians is basically the same, almost the same, a lot of the same verses, a lot of the same idea, a lot of the same thought that Paul was going to. And uh, So, we'll see a lot of similarities there. And uh, if you don't remember, if you weren't here... Uh, then that's okay because we'll be able to go back through that as well. And I'll be going back to Ephesians from time to time. But Philippians has been known as a letter uh, that Paul penned from prison. We call it the letter of joy, a joyful letter, a a letter of rejoicing. And you got to remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He wrote it to the people in Philippi. Philippi uh, was, first of all, it it was conquered by um, Philip uh, the great, and uh, I think it was Alexander's grandfather and uh, Alexander the Great's uh, relative somehow. And, and he conquered it and they named it after him. And Philippi was <clears throat> a nation that was a city that was fur- furthest away from Rome. But what they did is they took the citizenship of Rome and they put it into Philippi. And Philippi was always known as Rome away from home, as what they called it. And uh, the place was, was ruled by the Roman Empire. A lot of the generals and the, the military guard that retired, they retired to Philippi because it was such a beautiful city. So it was a, a city with a lot of culture, with a lot of paganism, with a lot of worship. And, and in this city there was a small group of people that Paul had baptized and brought to the Lord. And uh, this is the church that is meeting there in Philippi and so as as they are this is a very good church church God uh, excuse me, Paul was very excited about this church. He really loved them. there are a few things that he uh, helped them to understand and to see we'll see that as we go into chapter four of um, but right now what he's what he's sharing with us as as we've been talking about these last few weeks, he says, you know number one, uh, I want you to know that if there's any encouragement, I want you to to know that I, I want you to have the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ uh, he, he himself Christ, God himself became flesh and came down, left the glory of heaven, came down to earth. And, um, and then He not only did He lower Himself to the standards of man, but He also lowered Himself to the substandards of death. But not only was it just a death, but it was the cruelest type of execution that could take place, and that was the death on the cross. Paul says that we should be like-minded. And he says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And he goes on to tell us that you know, this is how you should do this. Not work for your salvation, but work it out. And he sets to us and he says, you have to always obey uh, as uh, Paul and do everything without grumbling and, and obey the, the commands that he's given you because you're being infiltrated by the, by the world and the world is coming in and bringing in their own ideas, their own philosophies, their own religion. And they, they bring it into the church, and the church starts to take it up and starts to run with it. Paul gives us a couple of examples. He gives us Timothy, and he gives us Epaphroditus. We saw these two faithful men. And the, the call, as I've been saying, the call for us as believers is to have the mind of Christ, that we should be like Christ. As a matter of fact, that's why you were saved. Romans 8 28 and 29 and 30 tells us that in 29 especially says that you were predestined to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. Yeah. So you were called out of this world. You were predestined to become like Christ. And that's a very tall order. And it's very, very, uh, especially knowing that we're sinful and yeah. Jesus Christ was not sinful, but we are called to be like him. Paul says, I want you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Even Paul as a man. We know that he was a sinner. There's a lot of things that we can relate to in Paul. Paul was the worst of sinners, the chief sinner. And we can relate to Paul, but still the super apostle. Then he gives us Timothy. Timothy, you know, he was a pastor and maybe he's a little bit more down to our level where we can probably relate to him. He was always nervous. He was, he was scared. Uh, people were, were always looking down upon him because of his age. He was a young man trying to lead these elders, these older people. And, and there were a lot of things going on in Timothy's life. And so we, we glean from the scriptures. And, and then we see Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is a man behind the scenes. We know nothing about him except that he was a loyal soldier. He was a loyal fellow worker. He was a messenger. He was a... He, he was a, a minister, and that's all we know about him. What Paul tells us in this, this little, little part of the section that we read here a few weeks ago. So, so we look at these men, men to emulate, men to, to follow, men to imitate We look at these men and we see, okay, we can we can be maybe not, you know, we're striving for perfection, Jesus Christ. And, you know, maybe we could hit the mark of Paul and and possibly Timothy and Epaphroditus. We can find a person. Paul says, I want you to walk like the men that are walking before you, like those, the women that are walking before you, those that have committed their life and left everything behind. Because Paul tells us, he goes on to say, I've left everything behind. If anybody has anything to boast, these people that are talking to you, by the way, he says these people that are coming in and bringing in this false doctrine that you have to have more in order to be saved, like as if what Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't sufficient, as if what Jesus Christ endured and the penalty and all the the, the persecution, the slapping, the beating, the the, the, the piercing of his hands and feet and how he was left out there to die and humiliated as if that wasn't enough to secure our salvation. We are wretched. We are wretched. And Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ died for us and he gave us eternal life. God took his righteousness and put it upon us. And he took my sin. He took your sin and he put it upon Jesus Christ at the cross and all your sin is forgiven for those that place their faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling us he says you know I want you to to work hard at this and and, um, and as a matter of fact in chapter 3 verse 1 this is my proof text for when I when I when I come to a point point, it's okay, when I say finally, this is my, finally, I'm going to tell you this, brothers, well, Paul goes on for two more chapters, you know, so he's only halfway through, and he says finally, so when I say finally, I'm only halfway through, okay? Don't close your Bibles, don't go start your cars, you know, don't go get your kids, we're, we're, we'll be here for a little bit longer when I say finally, according to what Paul says. But, but it's interesting, you know, it's, it's amazing what he says and how he calls out these evildoers, these people that are bringing these false doctrines into the church, and in verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now for those of you that have been with us for a while, we've been talking about these people called the Judaizers. These Judaizers supposedly were saved. They came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They recognized that Jesus was the, the Messiah. The problem with the Judaizers because they were still Jews they, and Jesus was a Jew and the apostles were all Jew. Then what they believed was that in order for you to be truly saved, not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you have to become a Jew, especially to these people in Philippi, especially to all these people that Paul is preaching to and, and reaching. And these guys are, are broken. What must we do? I, I am a sinner. And well, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And a lot of these people were saved. And so these Judaizers would come in after Paul started this church. He'd go off to the next church. These, these guys would come in and say, OK, well, good. I'm glad you know who Jesus Christ is. But are you Jewish? Well, no. Paul never said anything about us being Jewish. He says, Well, what you need to do is you need to be, number one, you need to be circumcised, all the men. You got to follow all the laws of the Torah. You got to follow all the, the traditions and everything else in order to be saved. It's kind of like our doctrine, some of the doctrines that are out there today. You have to be not only saved by Jesus Christ, but you also have to do X, Y, or Z in order to be saved. You have to belong to this church. You have to do certain tasks or miracles or certain things in order to authenticate that you have been saved. And Paul comes back and he says, you know, these guys, these mutilators of the flesh, he calls them. And he says somewhere later, he says, uh, actually earlier, I, I wish they would just, you know, just take everything off. And, and these men, these people that are proclaiming this to you are proclaiming to you a false doctrine. In Galatians chapter one, he says, you know, I, I, I want you to know if anybody comes to you, with anything else that we have proclaimed and preached and taught you, any other gospel, which is no gospel at all, he says, even if it's one of us, an angel or anybody else, if anybody comes to you with any other gospel, then what you need to do is have that person cursed. You need to ban him. You need to get away from them. You need to call them evildoers. You need to call them out for who they are. And so... Paul is very stern and strict. John the Baptist was the same way. He called the Pharisees those people that wanted to add more on top of the people that were following the law. And and they were, the Pharisees wanted to do everything according to the law. You know, and you you can't blame them for that because all of us, all of us try to do more. What do I have to do to be saved? Well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I do believe in the Lord Jesus, but what else? You know, do I need to be baptized? Do I need to be a member of this church? Do I need a tithe? Do I need a work? What more do I have to know? All those things that you do afterward is because you're saved. When you are saved, you want to get baptized. You want to connect with the church. You want to be baptized into the body of Christ. You want to serve. You want to develop. You want to grow. Those are all strong indicators that your conversion experience has been genuine. You want to, how do I give? How much do I give? Do I, How much time do I give? What do I do? Yeah. And, and this is what Paul was talking about when he says, work your salvation out, not work for it. But see, these guys are coming in alongside after Paul was done. And, and you might have heard some of this yourself. You know, you've got to also do this. You gotta have this spiritual gift in order for you to be saved. Or you need to be able to do this spiritual task in order to be saved. Or you need to knock on so many doors in order for you to be saved, or you need to become a missionary, or you need to and, and all these needs that they place upon people. Paul was very adamant about listening to the gospel. Here's the problem with most people today. How do you tell? How can you tell what spirit? How do you know? Well, the most obvious result or the response is you need to know what the Bible says. Number one, you need to know what Jesus Christ had said. You need to know what Paul was saying. You need, so you need to know what everybody else is saying here and how, what the genuine gospel is. So true. But John gave us a very clear map on how to test The spirits, which we're going to go through here in just a little bit, but we need to go through this portion of Scripture, and after we're done with that, we're going to go through how to test the spirits, how to give it a litmus test. How to, how to see, you know, how, how is this? The test that Paul was talking about was used in the metal work. And when you worked with metal, uh, you, you pulled out the stuff from the ground and it was filled with a bunch of rock and dirt and all kinds of other things. And they, they would melt it and, and until the pure metal would rise to the top. All the dross would come off of it. All the dross and all the impurities would burn off. But except for that which you were hunting for would stay behind the gold, the silver and the, the brass and all those other things. and Paul says That's How I want you to test the spirits. John says, That's how I want you to test the spirits. And so in in Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 17, we've already found out that when Paul says, You know, these were my credentials, this is who I was. I was this person. You know, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a Jew. I knew the law. For zeal, man, I love God. I was even persecuting the church. I thought I was doing the right thing. And then he says, But I left all of that behind. I press on toward the goal, which is Jesus Christ. That's my goal. That's my standard. That's where I'm going to. And Paul says, you know, I, I, I have not, I'm not even perfect yet. You'll never be perfect. Not in this world. Not in this world you will not be perfect. You will not be perfect, but we strive for it. We strive for holiness. And then, and then he says in verse 17, the portion that we're looking at today. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Their end desire or destruction, their end is destruction. Their their God is their belly and they glory in the shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Father in Heaven, as we take this portion of Scripture, help us to know how to walk and follow godly examples, how to walk away by fleeing from ungodly examples, how to be able to to focus on the return of Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to discern the spirits and test the spirits so we can know that we are truly following you and what it is that you've called us to do. Thank you, Lord, for this portion of scripture that you give us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The, The series that we've been on through Philippians is called Finding Joy in the Darkness. And we've been talking about how Paul himself found joy in the darkness. It is a book of joy, but really he found this joy and he expresses this joy through the darkest places which he was in prison. And so we've learned quite a bit on how to express this joy in the darkness. And in the same time, in the same manner, we have to know how to test the spirits and understand what it is that Paul's telling us here, first and foremost. And in the in the first part... As we are going through this, what, what, Paul, what Paul has been showing with, showing us, he says, you know, uh, there are things that we need to understand. That you're going to go through a lot of things in this world. You're going you're gonna to experience all kinds of tribulations. Jesus even told us that in John chapter 16, John 16 verse 33, he said this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Many people are in the process of going through things in this world. And I don't know if you've ever been told this or not but as a believer, as a Christian, what sometimes happens is they tell you, you know, what you need to do is come to Jesus Christ and all your problems will be taken away. Everything will be settled. You'll never experience another heartache, another breakup, another anything because all things are going to work out well. Beloved, uh, the the biblical, well, actually, the, the Greek term for that is um, baloney. Because uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that the moment you became a Christian, it seems like the battle just amped up. Yes. It seems like everything just started to, okay, you know, I, I, some people even told me this. I was better off when I was back there. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, you were. You think, because yeah, the Satan didn't want anything to do with you. I mean, you were doing fine. How is he going to mess you up then? But the moment you, you, you armored up, guess what? The flaming arrow started to come. The moment you picked up the armor of God, then the battle began. And so in, in this process that we're going through, as I said a little while ago, in John chapter 16, do we have that verse, by the way? John 16, 33? It, and, and I just want you to, I mean, you can write it down, but, but I want you to see this, because these, this, these are words of Jesus, and this is a promise of Jesus Christ. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. Okay? We can have peace in Jesus Christ. But I, however, he says this, in the world, you will have tribulations. He's telling us, you will have trials. You will have distractions. You will have troubles. And that's a promise. And he says to, you, he says to us that each one of us, but in the same time, through these tribulations, through these trials, through these troubles, we can have peace. Because we know in whom we have believed in. And then he goes on to say, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Over and over again in the Bible, it tells us that we will experience various, various types of things. Excuse me. In Acts 14, Paul says, strengthening the, I'm sorry, Luke says, strengthen the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In First Thessalonians 3, 4, he says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. I know, I know uh, various missionaries that are on mission fields right now throughout the world and they tell us of all the, the things that are going on to the missionaries, to the people that believe in Jesus Christ, to the families. You know, if you convert one person, they know the re- repercussions going to happen, but they do it anyways and they get ostracized and cut off away from their family when they leave their religion. But they do it anyways. And they go so and they do so with this promise that they will be persecuted. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, guess what? You will be persecuted. That is a promise. And so... When Jesus said to us in Luke 9.23, If anyone should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. What Jesus Christ was saying, you you need to deny the pleasures of this world. You need to deny the things that make you comfortable. You need to deny those things. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but if that's what you're pursuing, if that's what you are going after, if you're going after this happiness in your life, Jesus says, if you want to pursue me, those things cannot be more important than Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to set those things aside. Right. we got to be willing to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says to, to uh, the people in Corinth that he had this thorn in his side. He said that he had this thorn that was so bad, we don't know what it was. It was an ailment. What, was it an actual thorn that, was, that had poked him in the side? Something was going on in his body. And he prayed to God three times. Now, Paul, being the person of prayer, I don't believe that he just came forward and says, hey, Pastor, can you pray for me? All right, thank you. And then came up again. And the third time he got prayed for, I believe that Paul literally was on his face Possibly fasted 40 days. I don't know. But he was a man of prayer. And when he said that he prayed three times, I'm sure that he was in anguish. He was in pain. He was in tears. And he asked God to take this pain away from him. And in Second Corinthians chapter 12, he said that God said to him, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, guess what he says? I am strong. And Paul says, you know, this thing that I don't like, I don't want it. But God, if you place it on me, as a matter of fact, he says a little later, he says, you know, I know that God put it on me because to keep me from becoming conceited. He was a power broker. Remember that he was—he was an intellect. He was the yeah. Pharisee of the Pharisees. He yeah. knew a lot. He—he he had a lot. He was—he—he—he yeah. he, he would command authority, yeah. and it would be given to him because that's the type of person he was. And so God gave him this thorn. Some of you have a thorn. Some of you have something going on in your life, and you're thinking that God doesn't like you. You're thinking that all these things that are happening to you right now is because you got to carry this cross, and and God doesn't. God is mad at you. I had uh, the privilege of and the honor of doing a funeral here not too long ago. And the, the gentleman has you know, kept thumbing his nose to God all through his life. And at the end, he finally came to the conclusion, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. And he begged for forgiveness. He cried and he, and he asked Jesus to, to redeem him. And in the last few days he was brought to Christ Jesus and he came to a conclusion himself. He says, you know, I think all this time that God has been punishing me. And, and I told the family, I says, no, God doesn't punish us. That punishment has been taken care of on the cross. But you know that if you thumb your nose at God, and if you continue to go the way you're going, you're not being punished. What's happening is you are, you are suffering the consequences of the actions that you took. You know, how is it, my, how is it God's fault if I smoke all my life and then get ca- cancer in my lungs? I blame it on God. I know you're punishing me, God. I know you don't like me. You gave this to me. You did. No, God has been telling me all along. You know, as a matter of fact, you ever talk to a smoker? You ever talk to a smoker and they're smoking cigarettes and you, and, and you say, you know, those things are going to kill. Yeah, well, I got to die anyways. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've said it. You know, you, you drink, that's going to kill you. Yeah, I got to die anyways. Somebody's going to die happy. Well, you know, the problem is that I never died. And now I got to suffer the consequences of my liver and all these other things that I'm going on in my life. You know, because of, because of the things that are happening in me, because of the consequences of the choices that I made. You see, God doesn't punish us. But, you know, if if you're you're in that lifestyle with somebody who knows a God, that's what's going to happen. And and Paul, for some reason, we don't know what it was, but we know that he was arrogant. He was, you know, at first he was persecuting the church, killing the church. Some people have thought, you know, maybe it was just his mind, you know, just all that guilt and all that shame and everything that he allowed to happen and how he captured these Christians and threw them in prison and how he approved of the stoning of Stephen. It's just like, you know, to me, that'd probably be worse than any ailment that I can have because it's in your mind. And it's in your thoughts, and it's, it's moving you. But Paul says, you know what? I don't care. Whatever it is, Lord, it's to keep me from being conceited. And in, in your strength, when I'm weak, you make me strong. And so, so the first thing that I want to I share with you is what Paul is saying to us. He says, number one, in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have set, seen in us. Number one, follow God the examples. Follow godly examples. Paul has been talking to the people in Philippi. He said earlier, join in imitating me. And he says, you know, do as I do. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. There's things that that I have just left behind and I'm doing the best that I can to follow. You've seen my life. You know my life. You know my history. As a matter of fact, when Paul was on his way to Damascus and the Lord appeared before him and blinded him, and he went and he spent three days fasting and the scales were removed from his eyes. And as he was, as he was healed and led by somebody else, the, the Bible tells us that he was led to the wilderness for three years. And three years, Jesus Christ discipled him. After he came back, he went to the church to proclaim Jesus Christ. They saw him and they go, whoa, isn't this that guy Saul from Tarsus? What's he, he's, he's faking it. You know? Don't let him in. It had to take somebody to bring him in and give him the encouragement to be able to help him to get in get in. no no brothers seriously I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ literally I've seen him and I know what I'm talking about and there was a change in his life yeah and Paul says you know what I used to be like oh yeah you we, we know what you were like we know what you've done yeah. and sometimes that's the hardest person to reach people that you know yeah. so true people that you don't yeah right you know it took so a long time for me to finally break that that, that stigma that I carried with me for a long time. Yeah, you know what, Sal's just, I, I know him, man. He's a trickster. He's messing around. He's not. No, you wait and see. Everybody kept saying, you wait and see. You wait and see. They're still waiting and seeing. You know, 25, 30 years, 30 years later, you know, they're still waiting and seeing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but with Paul, he says, you know, follow my example. We've talked about men to imitate. We've talked about that. I'm not going to get into it too much right here. But he goes back to it again. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes. Scopeos, scopas is where we get the word scope or telescope or microscope. You know, keep a focus on those guys. Keep your eyes on them. Beloved, if you are a Christian and if you're a believer and you go around talking that you're a Christian, guess what? People are looking at you, whether you like it or not. Amen. You know, some people say, oh, don't follow me. I'll lead you astray. That's what some, no, no, don't follow me because I'm just a sinner just like the next guy. Well, you know what, beloved? People are watching you. They're, they're observing you. Amen. And they're keeping tally. They're keeping score as to how you act and react in, in any kind of situation. In happy situations, in sad situations, in angry situations, in, in situations where, you know, things are just going to fall apart. And Paul says, and, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is giving a high call to all of us. Follow his example. Keep our eyes on those that are leading, those that are, you know, even though they're not leaders. You may see Epaphroditus didn't consider himself a leader. He was a fellow worker. He was just behind the scenes. But man, that guy could work. You know, he was a soldier. Man, that guy can fight for the faith. He wasn't out there trying to get attention. But people focused their eyes on his life. And that's why they trusted Him. That's why they followed Him. That's why they continue to go. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. This is the four-generational thing. What you have heard from me, that's two generations, in the presence of many witnesses, Okay, entrust to other people, to other guys, that they may be able to Teach other people. One, two, three, four. And that's the process that we should be going in all the time. Follow godly examples. Number two, flee from ungodly examples. Flee from ungodly examples. Paul says this, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This person or people, the group of men that were walking as enemies of Christ, literally brought tears to Paul's eyes I mean it was such a pain and an anguish to see just the hypocrisy and the in all the stuff that was going on and how they were leading people astray and and it, it just brought it just brought this hurt I can't believe that after all that Jesus Christ did I, I, I am probably one of I am the worst sinner he says I've done the worst damage and I I've done it and I, but but now I know that I was wrong and I think that this is one of the reasons it brought tears to Paul's eyes because he can empathize. He knew. He knows where those guys are going. Yeah. They're trying to do what's right, but they just don't get it. They don't got it. They're trying to. And, and some people were just doing it intentionally. Because he goes on to say, he says, you know, they're enemies of the cross. And, and, and beloved, that's how we have to look at those people that are not following the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you discern that? How do you know that? Well, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But Paul says this, their end is destruction. That's where they're going to end up at. They may be doing divine right now. They miss. They might be, you know, be delighting in all that they're accumulating, all the worldly wealth, and all the attention, and all the uh, whatever it is they might. But at the end, it's destruction. Yes. As a matter of fact, you can identify them a little bit more by Paul says, you know, their god is their belly. In other words, they have this appetite to get filled. And that, that filling, that appetite cannot be satiated. It cannot be filled. Because the more you get, the more you want. And you want more and more and more. And, and these enemies of the cross, they don't even focus on the cross. Their whole focus is on everything else. All the spirituality, everything else that you can accomplish and do. Their whole focus is totally different as they are being fed. I want more. I want more. That's their God. Their God is basically themselves they Paul is saying they have made themselves to be God. one of the things that i 've found in, in a lot of the, the research and reading that i 've done is that there are some places where some leaders, spiritual leaders, will claim to have reached a place of spirituality where their bodies are no longer uh, their, their bodies are no longer able to, to feel anything because see it 's not their bodies, the body is what is, is matter. And there was this thought called Gnosticism. And Gnostics believe that everything that we touch and everything that we see is matter. In other words, it's just stuff. And so therefore, my body is going to, you know, we've seen it. It dies. It goes into the ground. And it, it goes into dust. So it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is my intellect, my wisdom, my, my spirituality. So the more spiritual that I can get, I can do whatever I want with my body. And so they abuse the body, they drink the body, they eat the body to death, they, they, they have sexual promiscuity with their bodies. And all of it is because they have reached this top, this top layer where God says, yeah, you're, you're about right. And it's, an, it's an informative and important to understand that there are a lot of leaders out there in the churches that that's how they act. They act and they take advantage of people because they're God... Is their body. Look at what else Paul says. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. There's a lot of shame that they, that happens in a lot of these leaders. And Paul is saying, you know, and, and they glory in it. Yeah, okay. It's all right. No big deal. You know, it's okay to treat the body that way. It's okay for us to do this with one another because, well, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. God made us this way. And their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things. This is a very important point here because when we get into first John, we'll talk to you about that here in just a little bit when we get into first John, the first thing John says is, you know what I don't want you to love the world because all that's in the world, uh, all that's all the, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life uh, you know is not of God And if you look at what John says in the first epistle of John, when you look at the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, the lust of the eye are the very same temptations that Satan gave to Eve. Look at the fruit. Look at how pleasing it looks. And she saw, whoa, it looks good. Lust of the flesh. You know, if I just eat it, you know, I, I, it would, I bet it would taste good. The pride of life. And I can become like God. Because Satan was telling her, you know, he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that the moment that you eat of it, you're going to be just like him. Knowing the difference between good and evil. Beloved, let me share something else with you. Take that a few thousand years later. Those are the same temptations that he gave Jesus Christ. Look at the rocks. You're hungry. Look, just look at them. <laughs> that looks good. Jesus didn't ponder it. Jesus didn't even say, no, no, I'm not hungry. He didn't even try to debate Satan. He says, man does not live by bread alone. And it, wasn't the wor- it was the word that he had in him, and it was the word of God. But more importantly, it was that he was living the word of God. Knowing the word of God and living the word of God are two different things. You can leave here with all kinds of information. But if there's no transformation, you know what? It's not going gonna, gonna to pan out for you. So we, we, have to, we have to look at the Word of God and do the Word of God. Man. And in the same sense, the pride of life, excuse me, uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, you can, you can possibly take every temptation in this world and put them under one of those three categories. And so when the Bible says that Jesus experienced every temptation just like we did, but did not sin, you can take those three temptations and everything that you are tempted with more than likely would fall under one of those three categories. Man. You know if it looks good, if it feels good, it must be good everybody's doing it yeah. let's do it you know and, and you know this intellect yeah. and Paul is going up against these people this is who they are their, their, their end is destruction, their belly is their god their their minds are are, are just they're happy and excited about the their shame and they glory in it and their minds are set on earthly things Man. when there are many uh, many things that happen in this world right we have all this destruction and everything that's happening, usually one of the first things that takes place, when, like for instance, the war in Ukraine, when that started up, people would call me, I'd talk to people, is this the end? I mean, you know, the Bible says that there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise up against nations. There'll be earthquakes and famines. You know, when we got to COVID, is this the end? They would ask me, this must be the end because these are the things that are going to happen at the end time. And so as, as we hear of these earthquakes, this must be the end because we're having earthquakes everywhere. You know, they're, they just seem to be popping up all over the place. Is this the end? You know, and, and I just want to remind you, and we've shared this with, I've shared this with you once before, but I just want to remind you that the very first thing that Jesus Christ said that you need to look out for, was not any... Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Because in Matthew 7, first of all, in Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then in Matthew 24, if you just go there with me real quickly. And we'll look at a few things. Because you got to put this into context, all right? Jesus has just come in and talked to the Pharisees, and he gives them the woes, the seven woes. The scribes and Pharisees, well, you, you know, it's it's going to be worse to you guys than it was to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be worse to to what's going to happen. Uh, Billy Graham was uh, put on was was hit up and put on target because of what he said of San Francisco. Basically, what Jesus said here, he says, you know, if God doesn't deal with you, San Francisco, so severely, then he owes then God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Because what's going on in this nation and everything else that's happening right now. And I know you see it and I know you sense it and I know you can feel it. And I know you're, you're thinking, you know, this has got to be the end. A lot of these things that are going on already. And I want you to know something, beloved. Uh, people are gathering and they're praying. They're praying to God and asking God to, to heal this land. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. The promise is that he would heal this land. The problem is, is that this land is not humbly seeking God's face. This, this people are, are far from God. They've turned their face away from God. And this nation is under judgment. It's just, beloved, that's what's going to happen at the end. We can't turn this nation around by praying. We can't ask God to change what he's already doing. In, in, in everything and in all that is happening, in the, the politics and in the leadership and in the, the economy, everything that's going on in the world is being led by people from our nation and other places. But this is where we're at. Now, please pray for your loved ones, pray for your neighbors, pray for yourself, pray for those that, that you can still reach. But for Israel, it took hundreds of years. It took hundreds of years. They, they, they sinned and they, God sent somebody to deal with them. They sinned and God sent somebody to deal with them. He brought in a judge, lifted them, up, lifted them up, then they sinned again, worse than the last time before, you know, brought in a nation, lifted up a judge, saved them over and over and over again until finally they were just all taken off. They were were all captured and taken away. God says, I told you guys. Kept telling you guys for 700 years. I've been telling you guys. I've been telling you guys. So I don't know when that's going to happen here in the United States. But I know it's going to happen soon. Times have just shifted, moved so quick. We are under judgment. This nation. And something drastically has to happen. And the best thing to happen is that we set up a king or a president that is after God's own heart a king that is willing to do whatever it takes to get the nation back on track that is ideal and guess what that king is coming soon amen Jesus Christ but look at what look what happens to Jesus so so he's talking about all the things that are that you know he's, he's talking to them he's talking about lamenting over Jerusalem and how he cries over the city now you guys have just lost it and then, and then in verse 1 of 24, he says, Jesus left the temple that was going away when he, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these things? Do you, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This was a, an immediate prophecy and it was also a futuristic prophecy. It was an immediate prophecy because in the year of 70 A.D., As Rome came in, they destroyed the temple, and to get all the gold off of the walls of the temple, they had to take every stone apart bit by bit to get up in there and get all the gold out of there. And that temple was demolished and destroyed. The interesting thing is, is what the disciples said in verse 3. He says, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now listen carefully. This is the first sign. This is the first thing that Jesus Christ warns us to beware of. And he says, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, the uh, lawlessness will be increased, and the love and love will grow cold. If you go over to verse twenty-four on the next page, or I don't know my page, it's on the next page. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Three times in this. Futuristic prophecy that Jesus Christ is talking about three times of the end time prophecy that Jesus Christ is saying, he says, be careful, do not be led astray. Be careful. Many false prophets are going to come up. They're going to do some great things, a lot of signs and wonders. And it's going to amaze you and people are going to flock to them and they will be able to almost deceive even the elect if it was possible. And this is why we need to be sure of where we stand uh, beneath the cross in Jesus Christ. Because the first thing that most people think about when destruction happens is this chapter. They know it's in there somewhere. Does this mean that it's the end of the world? Does this mean that the end of the world is coming? You know what, beloved? The first thing that we need to be careful of is those false prophets. Everything that's happening around us. And in in, uh, in 1 John chapter 4, as I said on the back of your outlines, we're going to go through that here in just a little bit. I hope... (laughs) Might have to postpone it until next week. But Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. How, do, how, do, how is it that people are led astray? Well, you know, first of all, when you go back to what Paul just said, you know, these people, the, 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 these evildoers, those enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. And because their God is their belly, well then, you know, they tell other people, you know what, you can have your belly filled as well. All you have to do is have enough faith. All you have to do is pray enough. All you have to do, look at me. Look what God has done for me because of my faithfulness to Him. If you implore Him, He will bless you. And He will bless you beyond measure. Well, we just went through a lot of verses that said, you know what, that's not the world that Jesus Christ lived in. That's not the world that His disciples lived in. That's not the world that many of the Christians before us lived in. They gave up everything. They lost their lives. They lost their families. In prison, thrown in jail. But here in the United States, you know, it's like, no, no, I need to get blessed. Because when I'm getting blessed, what starts to happen there, that means that God loves me. And that, that means that I'm doing well. And when things go bad in my life, that means God hates me. And I'm being punished. As I said earlier, punishment has already been taken care of on the cross. You go through things. I go through things. Not because God is punishing me. You go through things. I go through things because God is disciplining me. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that. He says, which son that he has is, you know, which father that has a son doesn't discipline him because he loves him. If you're being disciplined, it's because God loves you. And sometimes that discipline hurts. Amen. Sometimes it's, it's got, it has repercussions that it, that goes on for, for, forever, for seems a long time. But you're not being punished. If you're his, discipline is within the works. He wants to correct us. See, punishment is done because of something he did in the past. But discipline is to help you move forward into the, in, the present, in the future. Punishment has to do in anger, but discipline is done in love. Does that make sense? See, punishment is to put you down, but discipline is to build you up. And all the punishment, all the anger, the wrath, and all that in the past has been taken care of on the cross. It's been taken care of right there. Now what I go through is what God is disciplining me to become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, as we said at the very beginning, that is the goal. The third thing Paul says in verses 20 and 21, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul says here in that, first, that verse 20, he says, you know what, that's where our citizenship is at. And it's interesting because he uses the same word as the, that we have today that comes out of politics. Politics comes out of this word in Greek. And the politics of that city. Remember, this is Philippi. This is Rome away from home. And um, and so this is this was a little Rome, in a sense, in this little city. And everything was Roman. Everything was the law was Roman. The architecture, everything was Rome. And this little church is in there becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you know, just like the Romans, they come from Rome and they live here. and, And it's just like being in Rome. They've got all these little statues and all this worship and everything else. Their politics, their governance, their laws, everything about them is Rome. You are citizens, not of this place and not of this world. You are citizens of heaven. When you understand this, beloved, our citizenship is not here. This is not our home. When you understand that we have a glorious place to go to, that God has already set in place, that Jesus Christ died for, that he left and he went to go prepare a place for us. When we understand all of that, then everything else in this world, it is easy to be able to say, I give it all up, just like Paul did. All my credentials, everything I have, I give it all up. I give it all up because my purpose and my home is homeward. This is why Paul said, as we said last week, you know, I press on toward that goal. You know, I've been beat up. I've been spit on. I've been chewed on. I've been knocked down, left for dead. And 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 Paul says, I can go through all this because I know what my home is like. You know, and again, I don't want to belittle anything that you're going through. And I know some of you are going through some stuff. I mean, it's, It's it's on core. It's on par for life. Everybody goes through stuff. Some people go through stuff harder than others. But don't ever think that, you know, yours is the worst because the person right next to you might be going through something just as bad, if not worse. But they have learned that their citizenship is not here. They have learned that their home is not here. Paul is telling the people in Philippi, this is not your home. You know, you are governed by a king that is going to reign for all eternity. Rome, the the, the Philippi is being governed by a Caesar that eventually will end, which it did. But you are governed. Your, your law, your your love and all your devotion needs to be to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Because remember, as we said before, every knee will bow Bam. in heaven, on earth and under the earth. Whether you want to or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you love God or not, you will honor God. Every, you will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Bam. The evildoer will look back. Yeah, he's Lord. He was right. They were right. Hey, so what do we do now? It's too late. It's too late. There's nothing you can do now. But everyone will see. The whole world will see. And it's best if you understand it now to honor him as Lord. Amen. Amen. See, our focus needs to be on on Jesus Christ. And there's something else that he says. You see, we we will be transformed. No, okay. Wait a minute. Let me start at the beginning. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You wouldn't believe on how many people I come across, and the older I get, uh, the more and more people that I come across that are struggling with their bodies in, in life, and people are passing away. Things just seem to break down. I, uh, I was at a home this last week, a 93-year-old lady. You know, and she, finally it just, she knew, she knew the time was coming. She would, she would call me, hey, you know, can you tell Sal to come? She called me Chava. Tell Chava in Spanish, tell Chava to come see me. I want to talk to him. And I says, oh, you know, what can I do for you? And she was praise God in Spanish. Bendito sea Dios. And she would just, you know, praise Jesus Christ. And I go, but how can I pray for you? No, 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 let me pray for you. And I go, okay. You know, here she is on our, on our di- just a couple of weeks ago. On her dying bed and she's lifting me up and encouraging me. And I, I go, wow, this is amazing, you know, uh, because she knew yeah. she had that, that you know, I, I'm going home. Yeah. You know, I, I've lived my life. 93 years. That's a long time. Uh, she wanted to go a long time ago. And she says, this is it's enough. You know, she had this understanding that her home was not here. You know, and, and I know a lot of people that are struggling in life with their ailments, with the diseases, with things that are going on, and they're barely hanging on, and they want to go home. They want to go home. The, the, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that, that we have we live in this, this jar of clay. And this jar of clay that, that just yearns, you know, it's just old and worn out and broken. And, and the spirit inside of us, even though our flesh and our body is decaying, the spirit within us, it longs, it grows and it desires to be more with God. And, and the outside is dying away, but the inside seems to grow even more so. And you see that, you see that in people that have committed their life to Christ. And they know what the cross meant for them in their life, that they were redeemed, that they were paid with the price, that the ransom that was paid was not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. They, they know that they have this place in heaven because of the promise that God has given them, that Jesus Christ has given them. And beloved, that's the only way to live this life is to focus. Number three, focus on the return of Jesus Christ. You need to focus on his return. That was Paul's main focus when he said, beloved, I press on toward the goal in heaven. I press on toward the goal, which is Jesus Christ, which he has taken me and made me his own. I want to make him my own. See, he's he's done that for me. And when I understand that this place is not my home, I don't have a citizenship, I don't have a rule here. And, you know, when you become a missionary and you go to these different places, you have to abide by their laws. Yeah. yeah. Up to the point where they tell you you can't preach Jesus Christ. Then you have to start living as a citizen of heaven. You abide by their laws until they tell you, oh, you can't do that here. So you can do it anywhere else, but you can't do it here. Well, you know what? I've been called by a higher standard, a higher God, a higher governance. Well, if you continue doing it here, we're going to have to imprison you. Take all your possessions. I'm going to continue doing it. That's why I'm here, because I've left it all behind, and I've strained forward. We have families. I know families that are in this place in situations like this. I know people that have made, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the, uh, I, I forget what year it was, but it was during Christmas time, there was a tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. Uh, they, they called it the Christmas tsunami. There was a huge earthquake. A tsunami came in and wiped out all a lot of Southeast Asia and There were missionary friends of mine that were there that the, that uh, the week before, they started persecuting these guys and hitting them with stones and sticks. And, and they ran them out of the city. They didn't kill them. They just ran them out. They kept pushing them and pushing them. And they were up on, you know, away from the coast and up on the mountains. And they were up there. And it's just, you know, we need to go back. Well, we got to wait till it settles down a little bit. Well, that very next day, Christmas morning, you know, because this Christmas thing was coming up. And they didn't want the Christmas thing there, the birth of Jesus Christ. They had their own different religion. And that next morning, a tsunami hit. And guess who they called first? was the Christians that were up on the hill. They came down and they started to minister. Now, that is such a devastating uh, act of God and of nature and how God just divinely just appointed them people to be there. But they were willing to stick it out for a greater purpose. Churches were planted. People were saved. A lot of people died, of course. But God's purpose was ultimately accomplished see, beloved, when we live with our focus on the return of Jesus Christ, when we flee from ungodly examples, we need to follow the examples that are set before us. Very briefly, let me just have you turn to 1 John chapter 4. And I'm just going to read the passage. And we're going to have to come back next week and kind of visit this. Because this is so key and this is very important. I don't want to just, you know, read through it and that's it. Just give you the answers. But in 1 John chapter 4, you know, in in the... There have been a lot of people that have used this portion of scripture to test the spirits. Okay. Jonathan Edwards was one of the first. Jonathan Edwards, if you know anything about him, he was a, um, a, 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 a preacher. And he was the one that has been credited for starting what they call the Great, the Great Awakening here in the United States. And he would preach the word. He preached the message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And when he preached that message, people were so convicted that they fell and they they cried out loud and and people were just howling in a sense like oh my god I can't believe, you know and they were just like you know they were and it and if you were to if you were to be there and if you, you read the information that was out there, it almost sounded like a a Pentecostal revival type of thing where people were falling down and and crying and howling and and so all the schools came up to him. Back then all the schools were Christian and the teachers and they said, hey, you know, this is not of of God. And he says well, here's the message that I preached. He would write it out. Here's the message that I preached. You guys heard the message. I don't know. You know, what happened here is not something that I, I concocted. Let me show you how this works. And he pulled out 1 John chapter 4. And he evaluated everything according to First John chapter 4. And I'm just going to read this to you from verses 1 through 8. And he says this, beloved, John says, this, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Prior to this, John is saying that we should not love this world because all that's in the world is not of God. Paul says, or John says that if you love the world, then you hate God. But if you love God, you hate the world. And then he says, now here's, here's the thing that's going on. There are a lot of creatures out there, and there are people that are not professing Jesus Christ. Their focus is totally on something else. Their focus is totally on something else other than the cross. And the reason why it's important to not focus on, uh, you know, anything else. Because, see, when, when Jesus Christ sent us the Holy Spirit, He sent this to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is supposed to bring glory to to Him. He says, I am going to send you this comforter and this comforter is going to bring glory to me. And the Holy Spirit is to point people (coughs) to the cross. Points people to Jesus Christ because that's where the finished work is done. And when, when Paul... Is, uh, is telling them to, to, to be careful, to watch out for these evildoers and the things that they're going through. John tells us the same thing. He's saying, this is how you test the spirits. And we're going we're gonna to go through this. I just want to give you the, the answers very quickly so you can have them with you next week. Number one, the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus Christ. I threw the word always in there. But the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit opposes the world. The Holy Spirit opposes the world according to 1 John 4, 4 and 5. Number three, the Holy Spirit focuses on Scripture. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, according to 1 John 4, 6a. Number four, the Holy Spirit elevates the truth. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The truth is always elevated by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces love for God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So when you test the Spirit, is it exalting Jesus Christ? Does it oppose the world? Does it focus on Scripture? Does it elevate the truth? Or, and does it produce love for God and others? That's a very simple litmus test that you can use. Jonathan Edwards used different words, and I'll go, with him, I'll go over them with you next week on how he was the one that phrased this. He phrased it in the form of a question. He says, well, let me ask you a question. Is what I'm saying, is it doing this? And what am I saying is to do this, and I kind of formed it in statements in a sense, and we'll go over that even more so. But for now, let me ask you to stand. Because as we know, and you, many of you have seen, and you, you sense it, and you know, and, and you, you understand what, what's going on in this world. Some of you are following politics, and some of you are either on the left or on the right. Some of you are kind of, you know, but you still follow politics. And one of the reasons, and I heard John MacArthur say this here not too long ago, he says one of the reasons why Christians shouldn't get involved in politics is because all of a sudden, the mission field, those that are on the opposite side become your enemy. And those that are your enemies are no longer in the mission field. Because you don't want to talk to them. See, in, in politics it divides, and it, and, it, and it rightly does, just like doctrine does. But the, pro, the point is, is that we are to be missionaries in this mission field. And you cannot be an effective missionary if you're picking sides. In politics, you follow it, and I follow it too, I, I listen to the news. But you, you look at what's going on, and you see what's going on. And, and we're looking at, you know, is there wars, rumors of wars, or earthquakes and so on, famines and, and uh, pestilence? The very first sign is you got to watch out for those deceivers. And, and Lord, we, we need to be very aware of your word. And the best way, and the, the best way to understand how it is that we are, to, what, what we are to do in this world, is to look at your word, is to know your word is to know what your word says about who you are and how it is that you're returning and when you will return. The best way is to know our Bible. And Father, I thank you that you've given us this example by John to test the spirits and how it is that we are to look at the various uh, people that are around us. And we need to help others step out of error and step into the light. So Lord, we thank you for this portion of scripture. And we know, Lord, that um, that we are to focus and look at and follow those that are godly, and um, we need to we need to not we need to forsake and flee from those that are ungodly, and we need to also, Lord, we need to follow you and focus on the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, thank you once again. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone says, "Amen, amen and amen." Thank you for being here. Stick around for some fellowship. We'll have some coffee and whatnot. I'll be up here for a word of prayer if you'd like to come up.